We're thinking tonight about discipleship that reaches out. For those who are new with us this evening, we'll be doing this wee series on discipleship, basically using Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, as a, a guide to us as we'll be looking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5 to 7, and then now we're pushing on a wee bit. We're moving on from the Sermon on the Mount to looking at something of the early work of Jesus and His disciples and to think a wee bit of what Jesus said about that work, both its encouragements and its challenges. And as we look at this passage this evening, Matthew 9 at verse 35, and then we'll be looking at chapter 10 as well, the first thing I want us to see is the harvest in verses 35 to 38. And Bonhoeffer says this about the harvest. He says, "'The disciples wanted to keep him to themselves.'" as they showed when the young children were brought to him and on several occasions. The disciples had to learn that Jesus would not be hemmed in by them in his service. His gospel of the kingdom of God and his power of healing belonged to the sick and poor wherever they were to be found among the people. And I think that's a, a lovely quote, that Jesus would not be hemmed in by his disciples. There were more people, new people, that he was always wanting to reach. There's always the temptation that as a church, we can become a, a cozy wee club, and we don't want outsiders to disturb us. I, I remember a number of years ago, we were in holiday, and we went to a church, and normally we go to a church on holiday in England that's normally very good. And we went to this church, and there was nothing wrong about the, the ministry in the church or anything, but there's only maybe a bit more than a dozen people there. But it was unfriendly, amazingly. And there wasn't a great sense that they were glad to see us, even that we church. We as a church should not be always inward-looking. A church that is just inward-looking is a church that will die. The church has to be outward-looking, always wanting to reach new people. Jesus had compassion here. And in speaking of the people that Jesus saw and had compassion on, Bonhoeffer says, no one led the flock to fresh waters to quench their thirst. No one protected them from the wolf. They were harassed, wounded, and distraught under the dire rod of their shepherds, the scribes and the Pharisees, and lay prostrate upon the ground. Such was the condition of the people when Jesus came. He saw these people like sheep without a shepherd, not knowing what way to turn. He had compassion upon them. And in calling for prayer for the workers, workers for the harvest field, he says this, Jesus is looking for good shepherds, and there are none to be found. The prospect grips his heart, and his divine pity goes out to this erring flock, these multitudes who surge around him. Now, Jesus, even though he's the Son of God, he could only be in one place at one time. He needed co-workers, people who would help him, people who would go to shepherd, people so badly in need. 
your home, your classroom, your workplace, your community needs shepherds, good shepherds, people who will be a good influence to them, people who will guide them to the true shepherd. You know, this idea of being a shepherd is scary, and we think, well, if I speak to people, I don't have all the answers. None of us do. But our job is not to give all the answers to this needy world. Our job is to direct them to the one who has got all the answers, to the one good shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And Jesus has compassion and prayers. And then we see the workers in chapter 10, verses to 4. And after the prayer for workers, we have the appointing of the 12 apostles. And Bonhoeffer says, the prayer has been heard. The Father has revealed His will to the Son. Jesus calls His 12 disciples and sends them into the harvest. So He prays for the workers, and now He's sending the 12 workers out. These 12 were, were quite a mixture. Fishermen, tax collectors who were, tax collectors like Matthew was seen as a collaborator with the Romans. And Simon the Zealot who was a terrorist and so against the Romans. So a very mixed bunch indeed. Bonhoeffer says, no power in the world could have united these men for a common task. Save the call of Jesus. But that call transcended all their previous divisions and established a new and steadfast fellowship in Jesus. So the call of Christ, the fellowship with Christ, it is that which united them to the task. An effective church which will reach out has to be a church that is united and is continuing to grow in that unity in Christ. Now, we have to be careful that we are growing in a spiritual unity. People who come from the, the same background can have a, a unity that comes from having that in common. And sometimes a church can have a sense of unity because it's got people who come from a similar background, and sometimes that can mask and hide that maybe the spiritual unity isn't growing the way it should be. I was down at my, my mum's yesterday, and I was talking to a fellow who was doing a bit of painting for her, a fellow who I had been at school with. I hadn't seen him probably in over 30 years. Uh, and there was a, you know, just chatting together. Uh, it was amazing just the oneness we had. Just we're both very much nerdy men. And there's a, something that coming from the same place, coming from the same background, it affects so many areas of your life. It creates that oneness. And, and you can have that, if people come from a hockle, they can have that oneness from coming from a hockle. And that's good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the unity that we're to have in Christ is something that's to go over that. Something that is stronger than that. It's a unity that comes from a common call, a common gospel, a common work. 
common Savior, a common God. And we need to be praying that that unity would grow. Not just that we come and smile and are nice of each other, but that we're growing closer to Christ and hence closer to each other. The strength of the unity will affect the strength of the witness. So we have the harvest, we have the workers, and then we have the work in verses 5 to 15. And Jesus here gives clear instructions as to where these disciples were to go, what they were to do, and even what they were to take with them. Bonhoeffer says, all the activity of the disciples is subject to the clear precept of their Lord. They're not left free to choose their own methods or adopt their own conception of their task. Their work is to be Christ's work, and therefore they are absolutely dependent on the will of Jesus. Having a clear focus as to what our God-given purpose is as a church and how we are to achieve that is, is absolutely vital. It's so important. What the clear purpose of the church is in making disciples and how it does it through the Word and prayer and holy living, that needs to feed into every aspect of church life. And that's not something we can just take for, for granted. Let me just use this by way of illustration our, our youth organizations. And if you ask people what the purpose of our youth organizations are, you'll get many varied answers, even from Christians. Uh, some of them will be spot on and say the purpose is to make disciples of Christ so that our young people would come to know Christ. But it's amazingly how often sometimes you can speak to people about the purpose of organizations. It's to give our young people somewhere to go to. It's in order for them to make friends. It's in order for them to learn skills. Now, I'm not denying that that isn't part of it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what we need to understand is that the primary purpose is always to make disciples, to enable, whether it be among our, our men, our women, our young people, our children, whoever, to make disciples, to bring them to know and then to follow Jesus. I think the GB have got it spot on. Uh, seek, serve, and follow Christ. That's really what our work needs always to be about. Verses 9 and 10 here speak about what they were to take on this task. And it speaks about how they were to take no gold or silver or copper for their belts, no bag for the journey, not a, an extra tunic or sandals or staff. And this speaks of how they were going out basically with nothing apart from the clothes on their back. Bonhoeffer says this, Note that this is an explicit command. And that the possessions the disciples are allowed to take with them are specified down to the last detail. This shall be an expression of their faith, not in men, but in their heavenly Father, who sent them and will care 
for them. You see, they're, they're sent out like this to prepare them so that in their work they would be totally dependent on God for everything. And if we as a church are going to be effective, we have to lose a sense of dependence on self and be totally reliant on the Lord. We have to realize no matter what we plan, no matter what effort we put in anything, any fruit will be 100% down to God, down to the Holy Spirit. Have we that reliance fully on God? Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, elders, minister. Are we totally dependent on God? The disciples were sent out without the money, without the bag, without the food to create that dependence on God. We need to pray that we would grow totally dependent on the Lord. And what about their message? Bonhoeffer says this, they simply announce that the kingdom of God has drawn nigh and summon men to repentance and faith. The king stands at the door and he may come in at any moment. Will you bow down and humbly receive him or do you want him to destroy you in his wrath? No compromise. It was a message of a king, of the God of glory, the God who rules, the God who humbles, calls for humble surrender to be embraced with faith, or the judgment will come. So the work was outlined by the Lord. They were to trust in the Lord. They were to proclaim the message of the kingdom. And then we come to the suffering in verses 16 to 25. And this section begins in verse 16 with great challenge, but also advice. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You know, Jesus wouldn't have been very good at being one of those American TV evangelists uh, because they came on and always said something, something good is going to happen to you. Where Jesus and his disciples were, something bad is going to happen to you. He obviously hadn't read the, the proper magazines or guidebooks about motivating people. Jesus is different in the way he calls people. Bonhoeffer, as he's focused on that statement of being as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves, he speaks of how that can be misused and how it can deflect us from obedience. He says, But to deviate from the truth for the sake of some prospect or hope of our own can never be wise. However slight that deviation may be, 
is, it is not our judgment of the situation which can show us what is wise, but only the truth of the Word of God. And what he's getting at there is people look at a situation and they can even make themselves out to be wiser than God, wiser than His Word. And sometimes wisdom can become cowardice. I'll not share the message about Christ because this will create a, a reaction, and that'll not be good. Where in fact Jesus says, you have to share the message about Him, even when it will cost you. And in speaking of suffering, Bonhoeffer says this, this suffering will help forward their testimony. It is all part of God's plan and the will of Jesus. And that is why they will be given power to make a good confession and deliver a fearless testimony even in the hour when they make answer before thrones and judgment seats. He, he talks, Jesus talks there about how they've pulled in front of these courts, they will have to give an account, and God will give them the words to say. And he's saying the suffering advances the cause. The suffering creates opportunity. Now, we need to get that into our minds because when we face opposition, when we face difficult times because of our faith, our world can almost fall apart, and we see this as the end in the sense of us being able to do anything. But suffering and opportunity, or suffering and opposition, is often God's opportunity for us. It's often God's way of advancing the gospel. And the key thing is that we respond to that opposition, we respond to that suffering as Christ calls us to, with grace, with gentleness, with faithfulness. Bonhoeffer says the messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the divisions which rend cities and homes. Jesus and his disciples will be condemned on all sides for undermining family life and for leading the nation astray. They will be called crazy fanatics and disturbers of the peace. Elijah would not be the last one who would be called a troubler, a troublemaker. Now, listen, we don't go out of our ways to be troublemakers and we have to know ourselves, and if we're people who have a habit of maybe saying things the wrong way, we, we have to watch that and pray for grace and wisdom in how we speak. But if Jesus, the most gracious, the most loving, the most wise person who has ever existed, if He got in trouble for speaking the truth in love, then we can't avoid the trouble. We need to be ready for it, ready for the suffering. And this brings us to our final point, which is the decision as we look at verse 26 to the end. Let's just read there from verse 26. We didn't read this earlier, so let me read it now. So have no fear of them, 
For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Three times in that passage, Jesus encourages his disciples by saying, fear not. Bonhoeffer says, they must not fear men. Those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. And those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. All preachers of the gospel will do well to recollect this saying daily. Now, I think he's maybe too absolute in that. I think it is possible to have a fear of God and we still struggle with a fear of man. But basically, he's echoing, I think as John Bunyan said, fear God, ye saints, and you will have nothing else to fear. What holds us back from witnessing? What holds us back from standing for Christ? Is one of the biggest things a fear of man, a fear of how people will respond? What's the answer to that fear of man? It's a growing fear of God, a growing reverence of God, a growing awareness of the majesty and the glory of God. And it's when we realize that we're not given a commission by a, a little God with limited power, but we're given this great commission by the God who's almighty, all-powerful, all-glorious, all-holy, all-wise. This God who whom the very angels hide their faces before. When we realize it's this God, have a sense of this God, that's the answer to fear of man. Bonhoeffer goes on, he says this, to encourage us in regard to suffering, focusing on these verses, he says, however secret these sufferings are at present, they have their Lord's promise that they will be eventually brought to the light of day. And that will mean glory for the messengers and judgment for their persecutors. Christian, there's not an unkind word that you will endure for the sake of the gospel. There will not be an unkind action done against you that will not one day be brought to light as Jesus rewards you and as He honors you for your faithfulness. God is no man's debtor. And whatever we suffer for him, we will reap a reward in eternity. Bonhoeffer says of this, the time is short. Eternity is long. It is time, it is the time of decision. 
Those who are true to the word and confession on earth will find Jesus standing by their side in the hour of judgment. He will acknowledge them and come to their aid when the accuser demands his rights. If we stand up and stand by Jesus now, he will stand by us then and say, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my redeemed child. Ultimately, in this, all that matters is that we need to keep a focus forward. The problem is we just focus on the now. We just focus on getting through today. But it's a focus that we see what is happening now in the light of eternity, in the light of the world to come. And in that, keep making the right decisions for Jesus. Bonhoeffer, and this will be the final quote, he says this, the final decision must be made while we are still on earth. The peace of Jesus is the cross, but the cross is the sword God wields on earth. It creates division. And the decision is very simply, it's ultimately this. Do we choose peace with God? Or do we choose peace with the world? You cannot have both. Being faithful to the Lord, even when you're wise and gracious in how you live, at peace with God and being faithful to God will bring conflict in this world. We need to take that decision now and take it in the light of eternity. So let me very quickly recap where we've been this evening, the discipleship that reaches out. There's the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We have the workers who are united by the call, united by Christ. We have the work, the call of the kingdom to go out as Jesus calls us to go out, relying on Him. We have the suffering. We will face opposition. We will face difficult days if we're faithful to Christ. But we have the decision to make. Will we value peace with God as being far more important than the peace the world offers?